Welcome into the Storied Podcast. This week we have a dedicated fly fisherman in Klaus Friedleon to tell us his story of his largest West Slope cutthroat. And me and Ruben will give a little insight to how the fish became so large and also why the fish was there in the first place. So let's listen into this special fish that was landed and enjoyed amongst a group of friends in a beautiful place in Montana. Well, hello, everybody. We got uh, a special episode telling about um, some cutthroat fishing in Montana. So uh, we got Klaus. Klaus, how do you say your last name? Friedley. Oh, Friedley. All right. So what? Yeah. What? Uh, what is that? <laughs> well, if we're gonna get from my, home, <laughs> if we're gonna get into my ethnic background here, I mean, so my it comes from Swiss. I'm Swiss, but. Swiss. My my mom, uh, my great grandfather specifically is Filipino, so I have a lot mm. of Filipino heritage in my family. May I may not look like it. Let me get up close. I'm very um, <laughs> I'm very Swiss. I have blonde hair, but my great grandfather um, came here from the Philippines. He was in an arranged marriage, and he faked his death. Um, he took out his sailing canoe. So this is where my heritage of water comes from. Um, he took his sailing canoe and put his trunks on it, made it look like he went for a swim and that he drowned. And he saw, he signed a, a contract with the sugarcane factory in Hawaii. And that's, he eventually made his way to the States and joined a traveling band. And, um, my grandpa, his son is a sailor. And then my mom is a sailor and my uncle was in the Olympics for sailing. So wow. that's my, that's my water background is from my Filipino side of the family. But yeah, in a long, long story wrapped up. I'm Swiss, German, Filipino, and all this huge mix of nice. things. I knew yeah. everything well, gotta... about that besides the sailing. For some reason, I forgot about the sailing stuff, even though I lived with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mom sailed at UW-Madison. My my grandpa built ice boats until um, his rheumatoid arthritis really took a hold of him. But um, the Yeso family, so that's my mom's maiden name, is, is well-known. Um, in the country for sailing and building ice boats specifically and racing ice boats. Um, so granted, I, I did not um, get to sail as much growing up because I grew up in central Wisconsin in Wood County, which was uh, one of the few counties in Wisconsin that doesn't have a naturally occurring lake. It actually is just mainly reservoirs. So, um, you know, going home back to where my, my mom was from in Green Bay is when I would get a lot more of my water time. But in the afternoons, to get to some water, some good fishing, my dad and I would have to usually drive about an hour. Um, where do you uh, live now? I live you in, probably went from a place that didn't have a natural uh, lake now to another place. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, that's the same, yeah. Same I got, we got we got a lot of water where I'm at. I'm in I'm in Winona, Minnesota, right now. So we got you know some people would say we got some glorified lakes on the Mississippi with the way they pull the rivers. Um, I know some smallmouth fishermen in the upper Mississippi, North of Eau Claire will tell people that, um, these are just glorified lakes with some minor flow down here. But, um, I'm right on the Mississippi, which is, you know, a very large water system. Um, and then I'm, I'm just smack dab in the middle of the driftless where I'm home to some of the coolest, um, geological area, one of the coolest geological areas in the country. I mean, I got craggy limestone cliffs, I got sandstone valleys, and the highest density of spring-fed limestone creek or limestone spring-fed creeks in the world. 
Um, there's only two other places that have this type of geology, and that's in Pennsylvania and England, um, and, and England in the chalk stream um, area. So we're pretty uh, we're pretty fortunate, fortunate here with what our our diversity of fishing. I mean, we have warm every, everything you would want in a warm water um, uh, fishery, and then everything you want kind of in a cold water fishery. So yeah, for sure. Because some of those streams around us, you know, it's top ten in the nation for brown trout fisheries and stuff. So. Yeah. It's a nice, yeah. nice little niche to be in. Yeah, um, there's some, there's some crazy statistic that we have um, a higher density of trout streams, or at least it's either density or linear of trout streams in, like compared to Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, places where you hear um, about yeah. premier trout fishing. So the only difference is we have spring, you know, there's spring creeks for the most part. Um, when watersheds get bigger, they're they're larger rivers, but they're not that cold water fishery really anymore yeah. um yeah 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 so uh what do you do for work and kind of what do you do on your free time i know you're talking a lot about fishing right now but yeah. do you uh, are you involved with any groups or anything yeah so um my current position um i don't i'm not a huge fan of titles but my title is gis technician um but i have a pretty roundabout job uh, I majored in environmental biology, so in my current job, I focus on um, mapping and attributing wetlands and um, creating models for what the wet, what the water is actually doing in its landscape form, um, its position, where it's moving, um, if it has inflow, outflow, and that's pretty unique, and only a handful of people in the country do it. Um, it's also um, positioned off another thing I do is uh, it's called NWI, which is the National Wetland Inventory. And at my company, we are uh, contracted by federal entities like BLM or U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to map wetlands and basically update um, wetlands because they're constantly changing, you know, with drought, um, yeah. maybe draining, maybe even more um, water um, is coming into areas. So we use satellite imagery to attribute those and classify them on a more biotic um, scale rather than what I was talking about earlier as an abiotic of what the water is doing rather than. Um, saying this is a palestrian emergent pond that is saturally like <laughs> seasonally saturated. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of acronyms. It's a, it's a lot of coding. Pond. Yeah. But, um, and so that's, that's pretty much what I would do. I do most of the day, but, um, today, for example, I'm a crew lead for a prairie restoration internship that I was once an intern for at the university. So I teach in, I teach uh, two interns every summer, um, about invasive and native plants and we do some research research stuff too and it's a very um botany focused internship and it's and they but they also do macro invertebrate sampling um they do lake sampling for temperature turbidity chlorophyll and then um, ph and nitrates and phosphates so it's it also incorporates some lab work as well uh, it's a very rounded internship that um helped create a good foundation for where i'm at as well and um, what i do so yeah cool cool yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're living out of one important thing is you're also involved with Trout yeah. Unlimited, right? Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you asked, uh, what other entities I'm involved with. So I'm, I'm currently a, um, a board member of the local, um, Windcrest Trout Unlimited, which is our Winona La Crescent County Trout Unlimited, which is kind of, um, the Trout Unlimited of Driftless Minnesota. There's a Hiawatha chapter um, out of Rochester, and there's a Twin Cities chapter as well. And there's a few other chapters in the state, but those are the two other local ones. But we are, you know, we're really right here in the Driftless. Um, 
so we have a lot to do with Minnesota's Driftless uh, Trout Unlimited um, with the state program and then just um, volunteering locally, teaching people. It's, it's, a, it's, a huge, it's more an education-based um, chapter than anything. We like to teach people about the fish, about fly fishing specifically too. Uh, we like to get, we're heavily involved with the Good Hue Fishing Club, um, teaching those kids how to tie flies, take them out to fish every year. We also have veteran events at Whitewater State Park. Um, but yeah, Toronto Limited is a great organization. It's, it's really nice to be a part of it. A lot of really good folks involved. Um, but I think it's important that we have some younger folks in it like myself because <laughs> not everyone um, can get physically um associated with every single volunteer event and that's not bashing i mean just it's just nice to see young people care about conservation as well which is what trial limit is inherently focused on well all right yeah we'll um before we get too far i guess let's uh talk about some uh, wild game meals like we always do um i don't know who wants to go first <laughs> on this one i i can go i just finished eating it not too long ago all right just um you know Eating, eating some of uh, my one of my three wild turkeys I got this spring, um, some breast meat. So actually last night, I had it last night and today. Last night was a little different. Uh, Maddie and I had it uh, on kebabs uh, on the Traeger. Um, but we got a, a marinade that's like a pineapple marinade with some soy and some sake, I think, in there. And, and it's uh, pretty good on poultry and fish. So we marinated those and had them on kebabs with pineapple and onion, which is great. But then I still had some left that was defrosted, so I, I just cut it into smaller pieces and marinated that in the same marinade. And I just made some white rice with, like, green onions, lime, salt, pepper, and some sautéed onions and peppers and ate that. And it was really, really good. Delicious. Nice, nice. Sounds great. Yeah, I'll still I'll go off of yours. I had some wild turkey, too. <laughs> when you shoot a bunch of turkeys you uh eat wild turkey and i i've never actually everybody's always you know told me to fry like fry your bird i've never actually like breaded and fried any turkey in my life so i tried it my sister gave me this recipe uh years ago it was a uh, fennel and rosemary fried uh turkey so you kind of um well, let's see. I guess you pretty much you add a, you put it in a brine. Brine is just olive oil, onion, garlic, cloves, and then fennel seeds with uh, rosemary, peppercorns, and then salt and lemon, um, juiced. And then after that, sits for 24 hours. You pull that out, and pretty much in your powder, you have um, flour, baking powder. Uh, salt and pepper, and then also cayenne, and then one little tablespoon of fennel as well. And then pretty much from there, you mix your dry batter, and then you have buttermilk. So you you pat it dry, you know, the key to having a nice crisp turkey is uh, patting it dry. You put it in your um, flour mixture, buttermilk, flour mixture again, fry it up, and that is the best uh, fried turkey or chicken. It's actually a chicken recipe, but I stole it and did it for turkey. So, <laughs> you've, good. so you've never actually deep fried like turkey hot wings. Never done that. Breaded them and threw them in hot never, sauce. That's like the best. Never. It's so good. I don't know. I don't know why I've never because I think everybody does it. So I just like never 
thought yeah, to do but it. Like I said, on the time that I <laughs> talked about that on the podcast, it is one of those things where everybody does it. And if you just like, oh yeah, if you deep fry it and toss it in butter, it'll taste good. But yeah, but it's like phenomenal. It's like a cookie yeah, cutter way true. to do it, but it's just so good that I still do it. It's just so good. Yeah. 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 True. But Klaus, I'm, yeah. I've, I've never had that. So I've, I can't chime in and, and argue one way or the other. <laughs> You'll have to cook it for me sometime. Well, I was going to say, well, I have you down. <laughs> we'll make it for you. Yeah. Well, so I'm I'm not a hunter. So the wild game I get is either from helping somebody either pack something out, um, tag along, or just somebody being nice to me. But I have butchered some deer, so I've been gifted some meat. Um, but I had recently, I, I've been fishing uh, the river a lot on the fly, and just caught a bunch of sunfish and um, walleye the other day um, on uh, flicker minnows. My buddy was fishing and I was fishing a, a topwater fly. And we, we pretty much kept everything that we wanted to eat so we could have a big fish fry. And I made just tacos out of it. Super easy. Just olive nice. oil and taco seasoning and some lime juice. Put it. I, I put them in the oven on the pan and just waited until they got flaky and they fell apart. And then... Um, added some nice just like store-bought salsa you know because my life's pretty fast-paced so i was <laughs> getting home and it's like 9 p.m and it's just like oh let's just do the fish fry right now and get it done with mm-hmm. and um you know what i had in my fridge is what was what was what was all i had so that's what i used hey quick and easy it was sometimes great. inconvenient is yeah is good. and it was yeah. so this was last night it was phenomenal like i mean nothing yeah. better than fresh fish either like yeah delicious and we actually caught one walleye too so that that was a little bit tastier yeah we, we kept that separate and so we each had a taco of each filet um but yeah klaus has really expanded yeah. his culinary skills since i lived with him a couple years ago because he moved in yeah. with me we'll talk about why he moved in in a second but um the first thing i think that he said he was worried about was that i did not own a microwave because he ate well, a lot of microwave cooked meals and um, I was I was 22, fresh out of college. Living oh, I know. In a college house. So my life was revolved around single use plastics and <laughs> microwavable meals. <laughs> I mean, are you going to blame me? I don't know. No, no. I'm not blaming you. I was complimenting you saying that your culinary no, I know, expertise but, uh, is broadened. I appreciate yeah. it, though, because I, I learned a lot and I know how um, to cook wild game because, you know. Thank you. And how uh, Klaus was talking about catching those on the fly, I think good transition of, uh, you know, how what what brought you to fly fishing? You dropped the yep. spinning rod a long time ago. Yeah. Somewhat, pretty much. And how yeah, I see I, you now is use the fly rods. So, yeah. like, what, what caught you about fly fishing, even at a young age till now? Yeah, so... Um, I'll get into my very first impression of fly rod. It was at my um, summer cabin. My parents and my my brother and I, my basically my family, have been going up to our whole lives up in northern Wisconsin. And um, my seeing my dad cast a fly rod for sunnies off the uh, off the off the dock, and he was just he. I love my dad to death. He's not a fly <laughs> or die. But he loves put bringing out the uh, fly rod for sunnies off the dock and just catching sunnies. So his cast wasn't perfect. So I was like, what is this thing you're doing, slapping the water back and forth and stuff? But he's catching fish. And he it was a little th- like six foot six three weight that would b- bend in half if a fish was half a pound. Um, so 
that was my first time I caught fish is he, he threw it in my hand and you didn't have to do really much. You just, you just slapped it forward and um, they would take it as soon as it hit the top. But I didn't actually get into it until I moved here to for college. I went trout fishing with my old man a week before I moved here in around here and we caught them on the spinning rod. It was amazing. And I just, for the life of me, wanted to fly fish so i bought like a, the cheapest yeah. combo reel and rod i could find and i would just drive to whitewater branches and just hike up like two miles and just go for like a nature hike with the fly rod and just be like while well, i'm out here i'm gonna just yeah i'm gonna rough this thing out and it never really got good until i started casting off docks and i could i didn't have to worry about trees behind me so it took a little yeah. bit but i'm i'm this is only my this is my seventh year fly fishing. I mean, that sounds like a lot, but it, I mean, in a that, long, in, I don't know. It, you know, in 20 I years, mean, I'll say 27. So yeah, <laughs> meeting, meeting you, I'm like, oh, this guy, he's hardcore, always a fly fisher, man. I never knew yeah. he just converted yeah, and I would, just stuck with would, a stick there. Yeah, I grew up, I grew up spin fishing. I mean, casting, my dad was a simple man. He just had pretty much spin baits and some basket stuff and spoons and that's all we put on was i would just i would mainly only put on spoons or spinners at the cabin and just cast the bank for uh whatever would take it it wasn't i wasn't super addicted to it until about the summer before i went to college i had a co-worker that liked to fish a lot we would go poke around and um nice. then my dad sent me off to college with a spinning rod and a fly rod and i was like this this thing seems pretty cool i think i could get into it and with all yeah. you know the trout streams i mean it was a little bit more well known but yeah. I grew up in central Wisconsin. It, that was, that was not no. a huge fly fishing. Community, so. <laughs> no, like I no. said earlier, you had to drive to find fish. So, so, yeah. um, after you graduated college, you had to move out, uh, out West for work. Yeah. Um, which, which pole did you bring <laughs> out West or did you bring both of them? Well, I know I didn't bring a spinner rod. I don't, <laughs> I can't, I don't pick them up. I can't, yeah. and it's not like a, I don't pick them up because it's unethical. No, I have no vendetta against spin fishing. That's I respect it. Yeah. I just, I can't spin fish anymore. I seriously can't. It. I look goofy. I'm hitting into the <laughs> trees farther because I think you have to cast as hard as you need to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I am just not great at it. And fly fishing, you know, it's, it's became my niche. I've, I tie all my own flies. I just built my first rod. I've been uh, catching fish off it the last week. Yeah, that's half. sweet. It's just like. Yeah, it's just like um, it's it's just my it's my niche now, and, and I really enjoy it. And honestly, it's it's, it's because I'm good at it. You know, it's, um, I've been I've been fishing off the boat pretty much every day these last three weeks, and every free day I have at least. And I, I have a buddy usually with me, spin fishing, and I'm fly fishing. And I don't need to sound cocky, but I'm out fishing. So, well, <laughs> that's, that's the something I, I like to fly fish. Yeah, there's that's something with the panfish that's like um, after I moved out west and then came back and I was like, why don't yeah. we try fly fishing bluegills, especially subsurface yeah. flies? It's yeah. it's like not even close. I was fishing it's, next it's to my too easy. Yeah, I was fishing next to it's my crazy. brother and his wife and then my parents in the next boat and they're you know doing your typical bobber with a night crawler under it and they're catching fish, but I'm literally catching five to their one. It's like within seconds of it being in the water you're pulling them out i mean yeah, that's what they're eating every day. single day pop off, you know? yeah yeah that's what now they're, they're just a bycatch for me for smallmouth. <laughs> yeah. but like, yeah they're... i 
the summers here, I would usually focus on trout, but the few days I go down the river and cast off a dock and just catch like 20 sunnies, you'd be like, and you go struggle for, you know, maybe two trout. So I, some days I'd question what I was doing. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Trout are, you know, they're, they're like, they're just the upper echelon sometimes of fly fishing. They get all the attention. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, class, real quick, go over why yeah. you moved to Montana and how you yeah. met me. <laughs> yeah. So, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a GIS tech. So, um, thankfully, our university, which is unique about this company, it's actually um, partnered with the university. So, during my entire um, time in undergrad, I worked for this company called Geospatial Services. Um, part-time as a student worker and um, it was a great job but I met some great people that worked there and one of them is a very close friend of Ruben's uh, somebody that Ruben grew up with and his name is Matt Hogan um, on earlier podcasts yes yep. <laughs> yep. As a, yeah so Matt's Matt's a great guy so Matt hears me talking um, I had just sent about 50 applications across the country for any job in the federal um, of USA Jobs, pretty much anything U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, USDA, um, National Park Service. And I ended up landing this one out in Missoula. And as a fly fisherman, you know, Missoula is where it's at. You got the, you got just every, you got the Bitterroot, the Black Throat, the Upper Clark Fork, the Lower Clark Fork, Fish Creek, all of it, Rattlesnake Creek. I mean, everything's like right there. Um, some of the three biggest, most iconic rivers in the state. And so I, I took that one as soon as I, I could. And it was with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And so Matt hears me over talk, you know, talking about this and telling my, my uh, current bosses because I had accepted a permanent job with them. I hadn't signed a contract or anything, but I had verbally accepted it. And then I had to go back and tell them I'm actually leaving. And so Matt obviously heard about this and he goes, I got a, I got a really close friend in Missoula and he's been complaining about the rent a lot. And I think, um, I think you might like him. He, he, he's a fisheries biologist. So Ruben, I get Ruben's number and I, I go step outside of the office one day to talk to him. And we just get into this debated, um, awesome conversation about the differences uh, um, of geomorphology in driftless streams and the streams out West. So Freestone versus Spring Creek, uh, Spring Creek River. So, and the system. So, uh, and nearly me, I was like, yeah, I got to move in with this guy. This <laughs> and I had, I had been, you know, I'd been searching for roommates cause Missoula as is well known for it's a tough time to find a place to rent. It's very tough. So I had reached out to this friend of a friend of a friend and I was going to move in with her. Rent was way higher and I had no idea who this person was. And also I was in a relationship, so I don't know how much I'd feel comfortable living with another girl. Um, but yeah, so I was like, I'm moving in with this guy. We're talking fishing. We're talking fly fishing, especially too. We're talking trout, and he's close friends with Matt. Like home run, and it's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that was he was here. You were here for what six months, I think. Yeah, pretty yeah. much six months, like to the date. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, actually the first thing, like a long time. The first thing we did was go on a couple bear hunts, a bear hunt together. Um, he, yeah, that's one way to dip your toes into hunting is to go along on a bear hunt, uh, which, which we weren't successful. We didn't see any bears. Um, but we did, we did have a moose jump up really close to us in which I had to get the gun up cause I thought it might be a bear from what it sounded like at first. And the class freaked out. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, Oh, I didn't freak out. You act like I, I cried. What, what happened was I've never been on a hunt before and we're bear hunting, right? So 
let's let's not like think about this through perspective of oh you're going out deer hunting. We're going out bear hunting. I have not had an experience with a bear yet. I've seen them at the cabin just like digging through trash. Nothing like what I thought this was going to be. So we hear this giant animal bust down a little like ephemeral uh, valley stream. And he puts one in the chamber, like, because I thought it was coming up, not down. Well, it was very close. Yeah. So he put one in the chamber and like, all right, so this is a bear. What am I? So I just, I just stood back. I had bear spray. I was just like, like, that. Just, <laughs> like I took the safety off, and that was that's because that's all I had. That's what. And then he's in front of me, like scoped in. I mean, it was just funny because from my perspective, is like yeah. it all happened, and then it happened to be a moose, yeah. and then I turned around, and Klaus yeah. is there, just ready to spray anything that's coming out of the trees. That's <laughs> what you're supposed to do, hilarious. but. Yeah, but I would have sprayed you. That's what's funny yeah. too. <laughs> You're in front of me, so if I would have, if I would have let go, if I would have hit that trigger, yeah, uh, man, you, the person with uh, the gun would have got sprayed, which would have been one of the worst case scenarios. But, but anyway, so yeah, that was the first. Watch. That was the first outing we had, but that's because we, um, you know, it was in the. It was during runoff, so like. The, yeah. Not well. It was a oh. week. I think it was a week before season even opened for the streams in Montana, and the river was blown out. Um, so yeah. Klaus is really, really struggling, having not having a place to fish. But so then, um, yeah, after that, I was, we, oh man, yeah. After that, we got out and we started, you know, doing some fishing together here and there. Um, and, and he he was doing more of it than I was because I don't know. I'm I'm always working with fish, so. Uh, and I hunt a lot. So on half of my time off, I'm like yeah. trying to go and scout for hunting and stuff, but he, you know, he's an avid fisherman. So he's out there all the time that he has any free time. We, we had, he had a lot of different awesome fishing outings throughout the summer and everything. But the one we're going to talk about today was when we mentioned Matt Hogan, who kind of connected us. Yeah. He was on the tail end of one of his field trips for the company Klaus still works for. Right. And, yeah. um, he was like, you know, I can extend this by a couple of days uh, just on my free time and fly to Missoula and then fly home. And like, would it be, you know, cool to like come out and, you know, try to get on some fish and, or at the very least see where you live and stuff. Cause he hadn't visited me yeah. before. And we're like, yeah, awesome. So we, we made a plan to um, pick him up. We're going to go out to Byron Brewing first and out to this little festival in Missoula the night before. And then the next day we were going to go out and fish a stream that's uh, about an hour from town in the morning, go up to a mountain lake after the morning, hike in, fish that, camp there, and then come out the next day. And so the stage was set for that great trip. It was actually one of Matt Hogan's stupid, lucky, everything goes right for Matt on hunting, fishing trips kind of things because it was a really bad fire season. There was smoke everywhere and it was like a hundred degrees out and burn bands and everything. And he really wanted to have trout over a fire. And we're like, well, we can't have a fire because there's burn restrictions everywhere. And the week before he shows up, it gets cool and rains a bunch, puts out a bunch of fires. The skies cleared up with smoke and he shows up right when everything's back to normal. Uh, just like it was planned for him. <laughs> so he lucked out there. But um, yeah, so I think that we should have Klaus take us away on this outing we had in which we were fishing for mainly cutthroat trout. In, in the stream, we were catching potentially some browns or rainbows, but um, mostly cutthroat. But the lake we went to only had cutthroat. So uh, take it away, Klaus. 
<laughs> yeah, so Matt came Matt came down, and it was a great week because Kaylee was just there, and we spent the week in Glacier, and then Matt comes down, so we get to go out with Matt. And uh, Matt had a little bit too much to drink. A little bit too much to drink at Byron. So I think those brewery beers, I think they, I have to say, they mess me up more than it, like drinking uh, Coors Light yeah. or whatever, um, Pacificos or something. Like drinking brewery beers. So I, I'm not going to make fun of them too much, but we did get up early in the morning. I had to drive Kaylee to the airport like 5 a.m. So I was up the earliest. And I mean, he was the one that was off bad. He didn't want to get up and go out, but ended up. <laughs> puking on the side of the road after we had gone for a little detour to see a bugling <laughs> elk that was right off i-90 so <laughs> that was pretty hilarious um but that was a great elk that we saw too and everyone was pretty stoked to see that but we made our way to a, a local uh stream that we really love and we were reuben caught the first fish and matt had his camera so we were doing some photo shoots it was an awesome stream perfect morning foggy kind of so the um the foothills had a little bit of clouds like on them. So it was just, it was a really cool day for the camera. Um, and I, I had one of the best takes from a cutthroat I've ever seen, but I, Matt didn't get on camera because Ruben had caught a fish, I think by now. And I hadn't caught a fish. So I was like, I just need to get a fish on. Like I'm really obsessive where if I don't catch a fish, I'm, I might not be having a good time. I know it's more than about fishing and it always usually is, but like, <laughs> like on a day like that, I need, I need to catch a fish. We're fishing with three guys. I just need to get that one in that. So then I can relax and be like, I got mine. Right, we're good. So I ran up and I saw, I, I was fishing a uh, dropper, dro- uh, a dry dropper, but with a big, like chubby ant, I was doing purple and black. And then I just had like an attractive pattern. I think it was a, size 18 um black pertagon or a spanish bullet or and then i put matt on the same thing just did a, a brighter color so i think i put him on like a yellow or an orange and then he had a uh, pheasant tail and i don't remember what you had ruben but probably something similar maybe a yellow sally yeah i, I don't remember i think i had a chubby though was, yeah a, i think we were all fishing ant patterns because it was a yeah. it was august and it was a perfect time of the year for any sort of terrestrial yeah, um, anything with foam on it that why we saw an elk that was uh raking a tree because it was like last week in august so yeah absolutely um so well anyway so we get on i had a awesome i had a fish like fly two feet out of the water but i had ran up you know so matt didn't get it but we got some really cool photos of uh reuben with some fish and i i did catch a fish i caught that fish and matt got photos of it but matt matt was at the 99 yard line and he fumbled twice with the beautiful 17 and 19 inch cutthroat like a, a very big uh for this river too for this this stream uh very large cutthroat and it took his dry once and he fought it for a couple, maybe a second or so the fish was definitely hooked and they lost it he got another cast at it and it took his, his pheasant tail and then he had he fought that thing for at least 30 seconds like i had the net in hand i was ready to scoop and then he lost it again and so i think that was just a bad luck thing but I don't know what that, you do. That was in that corner pool right before you hit the bet, like the rock outcropping, right? Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. kind of high-hold some guys, too. Um, <laughs> some guys, like, parked. But it parked really close right behind us. So we were, we we wanted to get to that spot, that specific hole, because Ruben and I have seen that fish before. Um, came up for my fly, I think, once. Um, in the same stretch, at least. And that, that hole produced when you and I went there alone. You caught a really nice fish over there. So, yeah. Um, we wanted to get down. It was a really beautiful braided section, so it was a little um, tighter to fish. It was, a, it was just gorgeous, right up against the foothill. 
Um, so yeah, we didn't get them on a fish on the river, but Ruben and I got our fill. We caught fish and kind of felt bad because you don't, you know, when you're trying to put this guy on fish, he's come out for the weekend, you know, he loves fish, but he was hungover. So I don't know if he was having the best time. <laughs> I think well, the hangover got I think the hangover got uh overtaken by the fishing once he actually got in his waders and on the river, but yeah. What did you guys do after that? Did you guys go back, recuperate Matt and then go uh at a different angle at a different lake or stream or we actually yeah. got um Huckleberry Fudge at a gas station that was yeah. pretty bad for, for the stomach. Um and then we continued on to a, a mountain lake that I knew about and had fished before. Uh, go ahead, Klaus, on uh, the mountain lake we were going to. Yeah, um, I do have to say a joke, though. You, I, I think what woke him up was you gave him your leaky waders, and we made a hole. Like, he's like, are these, are these mine? And, you, and you're like, you looked at them, you found the hole immediately, and you said, yeah. Yeah, 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 those are yours. <laughs> and so he had cold water in him all morning, so... Yeah, but we went to this we went to this mountain lake and um knowing Matt, Ruben and I, we are all three individuals that overthink fisheries. I, we we know we we have so many things in our mind that we need to um just like pick out all these little things and just be really picky with where we fish sometimes, which can be a little frustrating. But Ruben had this awesome lake that he's surveyed before and he's known that some there's some a big year class of uh cutthroat that were stocked but what was it six years ago when they were stocked as year year olds well we'll get into we'll get into all the nitty-gritty on that yeah um, but uh yeah so the the most recent stocking of that lake well why don't we just say it right now we were going to yeah. a lake that was stocked um we went this was in 2021 when we fished it um it was most recently stocked in 2019 and then before that 2014 yeah so, so there we'll, were, we'll get back to that later what? Yeah. Yeah, but there was, you know, 7-year-old uh fish in that lake. 8-year 7-8-year-old fish, which is pretty old trout and they can get big in those lake systems. So, it's it was a very unique hike. There's there's two ways of hiking in. There was a long way where you go up and you go a long ways or there's a very short way but you go down and you go down not like you go down um a casual staircase. You go you're going down a rock steep that is I think what was it like a 800 foot loss but it was only about like 0.5 miles it was just straight down yeah i think it was like 600 feet in like less than half a mile yeah yeah and it 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 wouldn't have been too much of a problem if it wasn't it was right on a seep yeah so as a wetland scientist like there's these these saturated seeps that just basically are coming out of this rock form and there's these all these plant life that loves these uh seeps these saturated soils and it's at such a high gradient that it was just kind of brutal for us. So we were actually – we packed in a lot of stuff um, just because we knew that we had Matt. We were going to do some uh, video photography. Ruben, uh, you recorded a, like a music video, so you had your guitar. Matt wanted to cook some wild game, um, some fish over the fire. So we so we brought were, in the pans. Were you going to camp too? Yeah, we yes. Night. We brought in our no, camping no. stuff as well. No. And we even um, – I brought just a hammock for Matt, so we brought in – we, we tried to bring in a little bit less stuff and it was warm. So you didn't have to bring in huge sleeping bags, but yeah, so we're carrying all this stuff and you actually had to, you, you would turn around and climb down in spots like a ladder. Um, that's how steep it was. It wasn't like, it was, it was worse. Um, like, I don't know, having all this weight back and you're trying to like lean back into the hill. So 
it was yeah, and then just real slippery too. So it just it kept there. There's just all these um, environmental factors. This little hike, and it it wasn't like it was long, but once we got down, oh my gosh, it was it was something like out of um, a movie. You just saw um, you look down at this gorgeous lake, and there's just fish rising all along the shore and in the middle, like everywhere. And you just stare at it. And the longer you stare at it, the more you see. It's like when you see a really tiny insect, like on your carpets and Anne, and then you see another one. And now you're like thinking you're going to see a ton more. And you do end up at this lake, for example, just seeing a ton more fish. It's like the more you stay focused on it. Um, sorry. I've, I've had ants in the house lately and they're, they're, getting, to <laughs> they're getting to me. I've been, well, up ants, ants are part of this story oh. too with the fishing. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, exactly. They were, so they were hammering flying ants. It was an amazing flying ant hatch, um, both nights. Um, the first night in my preference was better just because there was less flying ants. The next day there were so many that it was hard for them to choose what, what, uh, to take off the surface. But yeah, so we went in this gorgeous lake and we found, and one of the coolest camping spots you've ever, um, camped. It's like a cirque lake. So it's just, was it formed by like, a piece of ice like moving back and forth or just naturally formed. Yeah. And so there's, there's just tiny outlet, but there's no inlet. This is, this is the headwater. Um, and it's just deep. It's like 90 feet deep, but I, how wide do you think it was? It couldn't have been crazy. So that lake is about eight acres. So, and it's, it's, um, I don't know. Yeah. So what, what would that be across? I don't know. It's pretty circular, know. but um, yeah, I don't know. It's probably like three, four hundred yards across the lake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's just it's 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 like a pond almost too. Like it, yeah. it was, you could cover it if you had a floatable like a canoe or something, or maybe a tube like we had. So <laughs> yeah. there's this, it was a gore, we had a gorgeous campsite, and we were off the best drop off of the lake where there was actually some shallows and then a steep drop off, whereas the rest of the lake was just straight just basically cliff if you imagined it um but yeah so we were we just we started catching fish immediately we all put on our rigs i put on my go-to new water rig where i pretty much the same thing i was fishing in the morning a chubby and a pheasant tail under i didn't have the pertagon this time i wanted to go with something more like uh almost could pass as a scud because i had some pink in there and um noel um from Blackfoot River Outfitters had been talking about, about scuds lately, so they were on my mind. Um, but I didn't want to go for a straight scud pattern. I want to go for a little bit more of a, a stonefly-looking thing. I don't know, something just swimmy. And then I had just this this ant-looking pattern, purple, black, something dark, because um, those flying ants were out, and I put on the smallest one I had. Yeah, and yeah, we, we were set up a little different. So he just talked about what he had rigged up. Mm-hmm. I think I had a balanced leech under an indicator, which I like to call it a bobber just because that's what it is. It's a bobber. Yeah. What is an indicator? Thing. What does a strike indicator do? It bobs in the water. What does a bobber do? It indicates your strike. It's There's a bobber. No high horse here. It's a bobber. I mean, it floats. <laughs> it's bright. <laughs> yeah. There's even one called the thingamabobber. So, I mean... Yeah, those Anyways. are the best ones for fishing lakes because you're fishing. Oh, yeah. You're fishing two droppers, and one is a balanced lead. Just like it's like basically a, bull, a woolly bugger, with like a tungsten bead, but with that little like nail, so it's balanced. Yeah, it sits so perfectly. Yeah, as I was saying, we had the bobber, and probably about six, seven feet under it, we had the balanced leech, and then about eighteen inches of tippet. With I had a snow cone midge on there. Yeah. 
And then Great Lake flies. Great it, it's lake flies. it's killer. And then um, Matt, I think Matt, start, I think Matt started out with the spin rod and yeah, just he a had little a paddle tail. Yeah, one inch paddle tail on like a, I don't know a sixteenth ounce jig head, just you know whipping it out there and just popping a paddle tail. He was cleaning up on it. Um, and then we, we finally did actually get him to catch one on the fly rod or a couple, but, uh, he did catch a handful of cutties on the spinning rod, but we'll give it back to Klaus here. We started catching fish right away. I would say what was the average size that we were pulling in with like, you know, they come through in pods. Like you were saying, you can see them when they're coming in and, um, and they were probably like 12 to 14 inches. I would guess like most of them. And, and then at footballs, like they're all were, they all were about a third, um, as wide as they were long, you know, yeah. um, at least a half. They were, they were awesome. They were, they great fighter fish. And, and you had, you had a four weight. Um, I had a six weight just cause that's my, that was my go-to rod and the, my best rod in my arsenal. And also the only one that packed down to four pieces at the time. So that was the one I was bringing in. Um, but yeah, I, I had, yeah, we were catching great fish, and then I was I wasn't catching much off the dry, but the pheasant tail was killing it. it. And I know ears hairs do really well in lake systems too, but the pheasant tail was just doing well. But frankly, I think they would have been biting pretty much any dropper. They were just on a feeding frenzy. They were doing, and they don't get any pressure because of that hike I explained earlier. Not a lot of folks that can't aren't really active or know about this lake aren't going down to this lake. Um, so we're fishing and I go on this suspended log. It's like, you know, I, like I explained earlier, it drops off fast, but, and there's, there's all these woods right behind you and you're trying your hardest to cast as far out as you can, um, just to cover more water. But there was this log that had like, was off the shore and then kind of went maybe like five or six feet into the water. Um, and I was like, that gave me a little bit of an advantage because somebody was fishing off this big boulder in front of our campsite and Matt, Matt wasn't having a problem because he had the spinner out, but Ruben and I were getting tangled a couple times and we were keeping fish too. Um, we had, we, we made this little, um, this little like rock, um, cage, if you will, for, the, for all the fish we caught and we lost a couple cause it wasn't very sound, but we, you yeah. know, we jerry rigged it. We're a, we're a, D, a bunch of men that love DIY. Uh, <laughs> we had to catch fish at a better rate than they were getting out to have dinner yes yeah I think, <laughs> I think i went to put one in and i bumped a rock and we lost like two i was like all right boys gotta catch some more sorry <laughs> but so i'm on this log and um i caught a couple fish but i i saw this one cruising along and it was pretty deep my my fly was about so off my dropper usually you do like two three feet but since i was fishing a lake i did i was doing like i think i want to say six or seven um and I see this nice fish cruising, but it didn't look huge to me because of the depth. And it took my fly, it took my dropper, that pheasant tail, um, with some pink um, right under the eye, right on the slotted tungsten uh, bead. And it started taking out line immediately. Like it, it like ripped, like it um, kind of gave me like carpet burn on my finger. I didn't have like a stripping, um, I didn't have a stripping guard on. So just like, <laughs> and, um, I just put it on the reel. And I was like, nice fish, nice fish. I was screaming because at this time I have actually, I never had caught in a 20 inch fish. Um, it, I just spent something I somehow avoided for every year in the drift list because these browns are smart. I I would fish, I was fishing like two, three times a week or um, in undergrad even. And 
I don't know how I was, I, and I was fishing spots where they were too, um, spots where I've caught them now. So I, it was, I knew that this was the 20, like, you, you know, when you see that flash, that that thing's above 20. Um, so I was screaming giddy and I got the boys running down the bank I think you threw your rod, Ruben, at least. Well, somebody threw the rod. So I, I had, I'd known a little bit about this lake through the data and the surveys. And like we were talking yeah. about earlier, we knew that it was uh, stocked in 2014. So if any of those fish were saying still hanging around, um, they would be large. And so I was yeah. like, we're probably going to catch a lot of really decent fish. But when he started freaking out like that, even more than Klaus normally freaks out when he hooks into a fish. I was like, yeah. oh, that might be one of the big ones. So I, yeah, I put my, I like threw my rod down and I was like, okay, this is like a serious, like we need to get this fish situation because it's probably a massive fish. Yeah. So. I know you, you guys can both relate to this. There's something like, um, just so mysterious about fishing when a fish takes your fly or your hook immediately. Like there's sometimes this immediate thought that you just have, like what it might be, um, and for some reason, my immediate thought was like, it was a huge pike. I don't know why. Maybe because that's, that's, I grew up with like, that was the big fish in warm water fisheries. And I haven't had like that big of a predatory fish on my line, like a trout. So, you know, that like, that first thing was like, big pike. And then I was, I didn't say it out loud, but that just very initial thought when you catch a fish and you like, you are making your best guess at what you think it is. That's what somehow my brain went to. But so that's how big it was. It was like, this is a big fish. Um, and I ended up roping it in and I had a broken net at the time because I trusted a cottonwood uh, log jam and trusted some of the wood and I fell and broke my net. So it's all busted. And I had like a twine wrapped on it and it was in three wooden pieces. It was, hey, it got the job done. Well, speaking <laughs> of falling, you didn't stay on that log. No. So I have a, I guess I have a horrible history with logs. So I, I'm, I'm reeling it in and I slipped off the log and I dropped into, I dropped into like, um, Waste four and a half water. feet, four and, yeah, four, four and a half feet of water. Like enough for my arms are up like this reeling in the fish. We're not so, wearing waders either. No. And these are the only boots I brought. These are the only pants I brought. This is like, I, I guess I brought another pair of underwear and socks, but these, these are my clothes. This is the only shirt I brought. This is my sweatshirt I brought. Um, so I, I ended up reeling this thing in and Matt is a great angler. So he ran and jumped on the log and grabbed my rod. I gave him my rod and he gave me a net in exchange. And so I actually got to net my own fish. Not flawlessly though. <laughs> I did. I did try. I was so eager. I tried hitting it and I should, I, I don't know how I landed this fish. I, that fly should have popped out. Matt, um, Spartan very smartly was walking it back rather than trying to reel it and rope it. He started, to, he got off the log and started taking steps back and, um, he got it to me and I like, I went down and I like hit its head or something. And yeah, thank God I didn't lose it. Cause then I got another go. It came up and I hold it up in there. I'm like, let's freaking go. Yeah. <laughs> so I was watching that video. Cause I, I, the, another yeah. reason I knew this was a big fish potentially like a very big fish. So I was videoing this at like yeah. after I had gotten over there and, uh, upon video replay, Klaus, yes, the first net attempt, um, yeah, oh my God. So I, I don't know how it stayed on, but yeah, you, you went, I, I don't know what happened, but it, it started to turn away from you and the, the head just got past the side of the net and you started to lift it out of the water 
while its head was out of the net and it just did, you know, it kicked its body and just flew right through the air back into the water. And I was like, like when I was watching it in real time, I was like, Oh, that fish is gone, but it was still on. And then again, the second time we netted it. And like, when else are you going to, are you going to net your own fish four feet in water? Like in a situation like, and what situation where your does your friend get to feel the fish too? Like Matt caught that fish just as much as I did. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so I got, the, we, some of the best photos I've ever had in my life um, with Matt's camera. And, and when I fish with Matt, usually we're really lucky. We'll, we'll talk about some other stories down the line, but my fishing times with Matt, usually there's a horseshoe stuff stuck up either of our asses. So we, um, I'm on this, I, I took the pictures on the log still in the water and um we got a couple photos and i went to put it back in the net and it just it was so vigor still it just flew out and i it was gone and i like i do, i was already in the water i like dove for it and everything and no it was gone but you know yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for the photos we had but we were hoping to get some photos with the saint croix rod in hand and um some saint croix apparel but i yeah. fumbled it yeah so um the luckily Matt's camera has fast shutter speed. Cause yeah, I think it was yeah. only a couple of seconds that you were posed yeah. with it and then it flipped and boom. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, just they're great pictures. It, it was so healthy that it still wanted to fight like in yeah. my hands getting held with two hands. It still flipped out. So we'll, we'll uh, talk about, we haven't touched yet on the, how, what the size <laughs> of this fish was. We've been talking about it as a really yeah. big fish. This, so was I, this um, a pike or? I well, so it, it was. It was sorry. I guess we should have. We should have prefaced that it was a. It was a wet, um, West Slope West cutthroat. Slope, yeah, yeah and, West Slope cutthroat trout, and I work with those fish yeah. all the time. That's the, one of the main parts of my job is working with West Slope cutthroat trout. To this day, lake or stream, that is the biggest of that species I've ever seen in person. It was, and I, I look remarkable. at a lot of fish all the time on measuring boards and we did not have a measuring board at this point. Yeah. Um, one reason is that in Montana, um, there, there aren't size restrictions on a lot, like your general regulation does not have a size yeah. restriction. So, and we're keeping the smaller fish anyway to fry up. So it's not like, you know, a huge deal, but I would guess I, it would be really generous, but it is within the realm of possibility that I was two feet long. I would say it was probably yeah. between 23 and 24 inches. It was ridiculously yeah. big. <laughs> I've held I've held big trout in my hands and since then too. And if I were to field judge it, it, it it's no shorter than twenty two. Like yeah. on a great day it's twenty four, but on the worst day it's twenty two and it, it has to be. I mean, it was it was remarkable. And if you're truly measuring on a board and you're pushing the tail, you know, that adds that adds some more. So <laughs> like but in the hands, it it was huge and it was healthy. So it was so healthy. So Matt has a great photo of me holding it sideways and like, um, like, like I'm looking at the fish in just awe because I've never held a fish this big, and that's why I wish I would have had more time with it because I maybe had 30 seconds pulling it out of the net. I held it like that and then I posed with it. But the photo where I'm holding it, you get the side profile for it, and you can see it, it is it is so healthy. So like. The stereotypical, I got my hands out, you know, the fish is going to look a little bigger. But when you see that photo of me holding it close to my stomach, you can still see that it is so long it bends like a snake. Like yeah, it like actually twice. is able, it, yeah. it's able to bend twice. And so, and like I said earlier, I thought it was a pike. That's how big it was. <laughs> like it was a huge fish. So, um, yeah, yeah, just, it was remarkable. I mean, and 
I, I was high for the rest of the day. I, I ended, we ended up going swimming just, just on an adrenaline. We ended up going swimming. I caught fish in my underwear and that's yeah. not the only underwear fishing story, but so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I picked up the spinning rod. Yeah. After, after we, off the paddle tail. Yeah. After, after that big fish, we decided to take a, a very long celebratory beer break and swimming break, I think. And then we got back to catch some more fish. And then, uh, later that night we, um, we cooked them up. We cut, we cut up, I don't know how many fish did we eat probably. So there are three of us who probably made like three fish, two fillets, a guy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and we, we cooked them up on the fire and, I was playing a little guitar and it was a fantastic evening around the fire. We drank some beers and then the next morning we fished again. Well, I don't think that Matt and I fished again the next morning. I think it was just you, right? Um, yeah, you guys went and filmed and I went on the tube and I was just struggling. Yeah. Cause it was I, not comparable. And yeah. and the reason why there's cause there was such a phenomenal, um, flying ant hatch that, they they weren't able to distinguish my fly between the flying ants. Like, there were so many that the probability of my fly getting hit rather than a flying ant was so low. So the only way I ended up catching those fish was I ended up just throwing um, – I threw a, a jigged – I threw a bounce leech like you were throwing, and I threw a pertagon and stripped it. I just gave something some motion, something black, maybe look like a sunken flying ant without wings, and I just give it some motion – um, when, and I would just, I would just cast a rising fish for those cruising fish. Cause they were never in one place, just like circling territorial. They were moving a lot. So, um, that's how I ended up catching that day. And I thought the tube, I thought getting on the tube, I would catch, I would catch another big one. I was really hoping for it, but I just think there was, there was so much food to choose from. I was just getting lucky by casting for the most aggressive fish. Well, also, Another reason you might not have caught another big one, we can get into. So that that was our trip there, and we we had a long, not a long, steep steep hike out, um, and drove back. Listened to a lot of C W McCall. Wolf Creek Pass was the uh, yeah. theme song of the trip. But um, we can talk a little bit about some fisheries conservation uh, aspect of all of this. Unless, do you have anything you want to uh, add to that story before we kind of dive into breaking down what was going on fisheries wise in the stream and in that lake? Um, no, besides the fact that I did end up drying my clothes, but I lost a pair of socks RIP because <laughs> I tried drying them on the fire and, um, yeah, but I ended up getting all my clothes dried off and that's why I was in my underwears was cause I, I was all my clothes are wet. So I tried throwing them on a rock for the last hour of sunrise yeah so actually i won't um i won't pass this up because i still have this picture <laughs> we're not gonna post this probably on instagram because maybe it'll be uh sensitive oh uh, no maybe but <laughs> anyways um klaus as we were talking about was in his underwear because all his clothes were wet and matt being the great photographer he is captured the most amazing thing if you're not watching this or look at our instagram klaus is a great looking dude really good flow blonde hair and literally he's mid cast with his fly rod totally bent he's got his blonde hair flowing in the wind he's in his boxers on a rock with like the sun glittering off the water behind him in perfect lighting and it's like i don't know if you're gonna have like some like gq fly fishing or like i don't know sports <laughs> illustrated like swimsuit edition fly fishing for men it's like klaus it was- would be the cover <laughs> 
yeah, it was hilarious. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I so, caught fish. Yeah, not the only fish I've caught in my underwear. Um, Ruben and I have a great story about that too. We'll probably have to talk about that on another episode. We repeat, repeat yeah. customer here. But yep. so cool. we um, so we were catching. I don't think we caught anything besides West Slope cutthroat in the stream, right? Uh, no, no, just West Slope cutthroat. cutthroat. Yeah. So we can dive into a little bit of what's going on here. Uh, as as we we're talking about, m- my job is working with these fisheries um, in and around the Missoula area. And one thing that's really unique about Montana, which if you're a fly fisherman, you might know is that in 1974, Montana went the way that not the rest of the country was going and still doesn't do, where Montana decided to switch from stocking streams to not stocking streams and relying completely on habitat and wild fish natural reproduction to produce fish in the streams, which has a lot of benefits for conservation, um, which we can get into in our time, but I just wanted to throw that out there that these are all wild fish in the streams. And, um, cause we were talking about how the lakes were stocked. So there's a difference of how those two types of bodies of water are managed in Montana in streams. Most people, um, you know, are fishing, catch and release fishing. And it's, uh, a lot of experience driven, you know, fish driven trophy kind of stuff. Not, not necessarily trophies, but just catching a lot of wild fish and letting them go. Not a lot of harvest is what I'm getting at. Um, there's only natural reproduction. So harvest could hurt that a little bit because they're recruitment driven fisheries, which means like, as I said, they're the ones doing all the work to reproduce and put those fish in the streams. We're not going to supplement with stocking if it's over harvested or anything like that. Um, and then also, fish in the streams have a different type of diet than fish in lakes and they have a little bit tougher life because they're going through different, um, seasonal water levels. They're going through spawning. They're going through, uh, possibly more predation in certain streams with more exposure to avian predators and, and, um, and just high water temperatures. And they always have to swim in the current. So their flesh, you know, they're still, they still can be good to eat for sure, but they're not remotely close in my opinion to what you would catch out of a lake. Lake fish are in stagnant water. You know, you might have a little flow here or there, or just the wind makes some currents, but they're eating a different type of diet, which a lot of it consists of scuds or gamorous is the genus of freshwater shrimp. And they have a lot of carotenoids, which I'm not exactly sure what that means on a bio, you know, a microbiology level, but that's what makes the really um, vibrant orange flesh in these fish, which... Yep. Correction to anybody says that it was really good fish because it's really pink. I don't know, maybe you're colorblind, but that's not pink. That's orange, in my opinion, yep. at least. And, um, uh, as a fly tire, I add orange in the middle of my scuds because a pregnant scud, they'll be like this. Um, they're kind of like translucent, but they'll be like this denser spot where they're orange right in the middle of them. Um, so if you tie, if you're a fly tire, if you you're tying your scuds and you're not putting orange in the middle, I suggest that you'll catch a lot more fish. Yeah. Thanks for that. I did not know that it's yeah. from the fly tying aspect. Cause honestly, and Ryan might be able to say the same. Uh, mm-hmm. I know a lot about fish from a science and management perspective. I'm not the greatest angler in the world. Klaus very well could be. Um, so, uh, so the difference is that, um, I mean, obviously har- some harvest is still allowed in streams and rivers. It's just kind of culturally different. Whereas the lakes, those are managed for harvest and opportunity 
And um, just because uh, we stock these lakes, they're not a conservation, um, they're not bolstering conservation in a lot of aspects because, for example, Klaus was mentioning this is a cirque lake that we were fishing, and there's many of these in Montana. And like mm -hmm. you said, it's a, at the very headwaters of the systems created by a glacier on a ridge. And so there's normally a precipitous drop out of these lakes. And yeah. honestly, until the glaciers receded from that area, which could have been only tens of thousands of years ago, um, it leaves a lake where there's a barrier to fish moving into it. So there are historically in most of these lakes were never fish. And so these are opportunities for state agencies to stock fish for yeah. opportunity for hikers and campers and some angling and harvest. And they're probably um, not going to be very detrimental to other, you know, wild fish, which there is a whole realm of things we can go into of why stocking fish in wild streams is a bad thing. But that's like a whole nother three podcasts. So we're not going to really go into that. But anyways, yeah. these stocking, these, these lakes that are stocked, they don't mix with wild fish in general. Some can maybe leave out the outlet, but there wasn't a population of wild fish there to begin with. And they're easy to control because there's a thing called density dependence. It's pretty much simple concept. Fish need to eat. There's only so much food. You have more fish, less food per fish. They don't get as big. In fisheries, we're always trying to play that line of what's, you know, the most amount of fish to catch, but also not too much. So they're not stunted and small. These lakes are a great opportunity to, to like, control that because generally there's no spawning habitat for those fish. So they don't reproduce and produce the numbers of fish that are going to start to have an effect on the size of them. And a lot of times they don't have any spawning habitat at all. So they'll reabsorb those eggs or not spend the energy to spawn. So they grow bigger and plumper. And, um, uh, that's what Klaus was talking about with how thick these fish yeah. were in that lake. And so that's kind of how the difference between rivers and, and lakes, uh, and specifically cirque lakes and these lakes that don't have much connection to other bodies of water or smaller lakes are managed here. Um, there are definitely more natural lakes that have wild species of fish. And that's a little bit of a different ball game, but where we were fishing, that's kind of how it works is there's incremental stocking. You kind of find out what the right number of fish to stock in there based on food availability, based on harvest. And you go from there to make a great fishery. And like Klaus was saying, this specific spot doesn't receive a whole ton of pressure. I looked at the stocking records and it was stocked in 2019, 2014, and 2007. Each of those years, there were 500 fish stocked and they were at about one and a half to two inches long on average. So the fish we were catching that were like a foot long were two-year-old fish. And the fish you caught yeah. was a seven-year-old fish which is why you were saying you were thinking you might catch another large one in the tube. I am, wouldn't be surprised if you caught one of the last or the last of that age class in that lake. That, that fish had been one of like 20 still in that lake. Also in the data, most of the fish in the last survey were about 8 to 10 inches, but there was a, a one or two that were in that 20 plus, which is why I was interested to see what was on the end of Klaus's line when he started freaking out. So yeah, that's kind of how those lakes are managed. Um, and that's specifically West Slope Cutthroat. Ryan has a lot of experience in raising the fish for these kind of lake situations when he worked in Utah, but you, you had a lot of like uh, other species you were dealing with too, right? Yeah, I, I got a question too before I 
dive into that. Um, how many species of cutthroat subspecies um, are in uh, Montana? Two? Two. Yeah, West Slope cutthroat and Yellowstone. And Yellowstone. Okay, so yeah, I mean, there's 11 subspecies of cutthroat in the United States. Um, we dealt with four of them in Utah, and I mean, just like you're talking now, you know, each state defines um, certain drainages to each one of those cutthroat subspecies. You know, there's certain genetic traits or development, evolutionary things that are specific to each drainage. Like in Utah, there's the Bonneville Lake drainage. Bonneville Lake used to cover the northwest uh, side of, of Utah pretty much until it breached. But there's that strain. There's a Colorado River. Um, which is all everything that flows in the Colorado River. Then uh, Yellowstone, like what you guys have, ours, our little tiny corner of Utah flows right into the Snake River in Idaho. Um, and then we have the Bear Lake Cutthroat, which is kind of an evolutionary change in the Bonneville. But um, we dealt with those and pretty much as a hatchery side of everything, um, you guys as managers tell us, okay, what do you want? Can we do it? We'll give you a size, we'll give you a species, and we'll give you the amount we can actually raise of these fish. So um, on your side, we we um, we raise these fish and stock them accordingly to those specific drainages. And a lot of these times, we only, in those high mountain lakes, you know, if that west slope, that lake that you guys are fishing, if that some miraculous way fills up and breaches or something happens that's why you guys are putting west slopes in there because if they get out what are they going to do populate down below and they're a native species in that drainage so a lot of times what utah did to increase a little more action maybe um and to actually put fish on different forage bases like fish and stuff was the supplement like splake a hybrid and tiger trout, another hybrid species that are actually sterile that can't reproduce with the cutthroat. Because if you stock rainbows and things like that, they can interbreed and things like that. But um, those high mountain lake systems are just great, especially when you have an abundance of scuds. And then through the summer, you have abundance of, you know, flying ant hatches, all those different hatches. You could get tremendous growth off of a lot of those fish in some of those areas. But um, another problem too that we have in, in the West, it's weird, you know, me, Klaus, Ruben, we're all Midwestern boys. We've always grown up with the native brook trout, right? All our selvelinids, our brook trout and our lake trout. That's what is home here. Now going out West, you guys, they're, they're a huge problem. Yeah. Um, and one of the, second conversations I had with Ruben when I was choosing to move out with him, he calls me and says, Oh, we'll go to this lake and we'll just kill a bunch of, uh, invasive, uh, brook trout once we'll, we'll catch them. Or we'll kill them. <laughs> what was your and thoughts then, at that point? Oh my gosh. My head was backwards. I didn't know what I, I, I had, I was like, what, what are you talking about? Cause I, I, I hadn't heard it. My, my, pers uh, my perspective of it that had completely regionally biased towards brook trout being, um, the only For native that, yeah. fish in uh, yeah. trout, for cold water fisheries around here um, where our genics have been kind of replaced by Eastern strain brook trout, but there's some heritage brook trout around the area. Yeah. yeah. So, but we'll yeah, it was, that, but that's a different topic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but um, it, it, it was, it was completely backwards to what I had been taught. So, yeah, you know, 
but yeah, it's, you... it's weird. Different scenarios provide different things. And I know Utah, a lot of times we had brook trout and we also had Arctic grayling to, imp, uh, to uh, stock those areas that had low dissolved oxygen that might not carry over because cutthroat, um, cutthroat are, are pretty, you know, locomotive fish that like to inhabit the middle of the lake and all that stuff. They're also, you know, kind of that hybrid. They like to sit down and attack like that. But um, those fish can't live in scenarios where brook trout can handle low DO and, and grayling. So in a lot of the Utah lakes that we would aerial stock and stock by um, um, uh, horse and stuff like that, we would put those brook trout in. And uh, also we would triploid them. We went to the thing of like triploiding a lot of those fish. I think it was a thing they put those brook trout in years ago. And they had phenomenal growth with all the scud growth. And you're pretty much putting all these fish in an area where they wasn't fished before. It's trophic cascade. You got scuds, you got everything, and they just get huge. And state records have been caught out of certain mountain ranges in Utah. And it's and they're hard to get away. But now the triploidy and, and the low DO lakes is kind of a nice thing. And they don't yeah. stock in a certain drainage. Of yeah. Now, the, the thing, the caveat to what Ryan's saying there is you do, like... In those lakes, did you have any natural reproduction when you had that no. crazy growth? Exactly. So, in the problem we have in Western Montana is, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, well, if they're in these cirque lakes, which the state did in the 50s and 60s, stock brook trout in a lot of places yep. when people weren't in the know of like what was going to happen. Um, one big problem out here is that we have bull trout and brook trout can hybridize with bull trout and bull trout are a threatened species. So that's not good. But the other part of it, just from an angling perspective, is you take a non-native species like a brook trout, like Ryan said, they can survive in lower DOs in the native cutthroat. They can uh, they don't need it. They don't have as um, specific spawning requirements um, and they're a fall spawner instead. Uh, and so they can they can they, they can persist more. So. Basically, in the lakes we have, we we do have a lot of natural reproduction in these lakes, which what happens is, like I was saying, um, when you're trying to make lots of decent size or big fish, you control the numbers of them. We can't control the numbers of these brook trout because they're naturally reproducing in these lakes, and they, they proliferate, and then there's not a lot of food to go around, and then they all become six inches. Dante, and yeah. if you go to almost any lake that has naturally reproducing brook trout in western Montana... Um, and it, I'll make the caveat to that in these cirque lakes that are a closed, pretty much a closed system. Almost every single one of them is like that. They're all tiny stunted brook trout. Uh, there's some differences in different areas depending on what the situation is, but for that situation, it's bad for the angling too, because I don't know how many people would have to go up there and start keeping their limits every day to make the fish bigger by taking enough out, but you wouldn't be able to keep up. So that's, that's another reason that the brook trout, you know, well, not a reason that that's, that's the flip side of the coin to what Ryan was talking about is like, if you do have natural reproduction and especially you have that conservation issue with them hybridizing with bull trout, if they get out of the lake, um, not great to stock non-native species. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of. Good, we'll I think good work. You got management on that side, making um, recommendations and studying and monitoring those lakes, rivers, all that stuff. And then you also have, you know, hatchery folk that are there. They're the farmers that raise these. It's kind of an insurance policy for anything like floods, 
um, wildfires or even, you know, bad things that happen, we're there to kind of supplement good genetic fish, hopefully, and things like that to kind of withstand these populations for year to year. And give give anglers a shit ton of opportunities too. There's areas that are going to die, get heavily pressured, and you need kind of stocking to sustain that. Two quick things um, that I left out of that little conservation talk. One, the caveat to not stocking any streams in Montana is that if there is a rotenone treatment or an extirpation for any reason and the fish are gone where there used to be non-natives and things like that, they will stock West Slope cutthroat trout back into that system to as a conservation source. But it's never going to be for like a supplemental, you know, for angling. Like if, if there's fish being stocked in Montana streams, it's because it is restarting a population that, that died out. But the other thing I was going to talk about is the, um, the downside to stocking these mountain lakes. It's great for fishing, great for opportunity, all that. Um, there is just a little thing to be cognizant of and a lot of, uh, wilderness and other environmental groups bring this up a lot. If you stock fish in a lake that never used to have fish, it's really bad for the amphibians. <laughs> yeah. So we have Columbia spotted frog um, out here and bore. I think we have boreal toads in some boreal areas. Toad. And so there are a number of lakes that, that are intentionally not stocked because they're keeping those populations of amphibians. I think there's a couple of newts and salamanders too, that yeah. take a hit. Um, Klaus, you know anything more about that? I was just going to say that I know that amphibians are the, um, most susceptible to climate change um so they've they've been the they've been the um type of species to be um exterminated the most due to climate change or just or um habitat loss i think is a a huge pretty much atheroprogenic caused events Um, yeah yeah so that's one thing to keep in mind with the whole mountain lake stocking thing, uh, on the, the fisheries management end is, um, there, there, there needs to be a balance there because where, where there are fish in the lakes, yeah, it's great fishing, good opportunity. Um, but those amphibians, which are important, uh, take a hit cause they get eaten by fish yeah. a lot. <laughs> yep. Um, so um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a pretty good uh, story with some tidbits of conservation. It was a great story, actually. Um, the, and uh, Klaus's largest cutthroat, largest cutthroat I've ever seen, personally, which is yeah. actually saying something because I probably probably lay hands on Work like hundreds them. of cutthroat a year. Um, what about you, Words? But what's the biggest one you've seen? Oh shit, cutthroat! Not yeah. that big, <laughs> dude. So. I was looking up state records after this and that length was a state record in like in Idaho and we were very close to there. So damn the state record of West slope in Idaho. Yeah. West slope. Damn. So Klaus. All right. Probably easy to guess. Maybe it's not easy to guess. What was your high point and what was your low point during this trip from start to finish, including, uh, Matt puking with the elk. Well, my high point was, of course, the fish. Um, just pure excitement. I mean, and just a, a sense of accomplishment. Like I'd been fly fishing four years at that point, and I just caught my first twenty-inch trout, and it was a special one. You know, sharing a memory like that with two individuals, two close friends too. Like I've caught big fish alone. It's exciting, 
it's nowhere near the excitement of having two guys run down the bank to grab your net and having one grab your rod because you're halfway in the water, you know? So it's, yeah, un- remarkable, remarkable memory. Um, one that I replay in my head, and I'm lucky we have a video of it and lots of photos. My low is burning my sock at the fire. Oh, it was a good <laughs> and they're lucky socks now too. Like I have lucky socks. I'm, I can be superstitious at times. I have my lucky wool fishing socks. I, like I got like four or five of them. You know, sometimes you got to wear a new pair for it to be a lucky pair. Now that's a good <laughs> motto to life. Um, but burning those because I knew that I was going to burn them and I was still just like, because I didn't want to wear the other socks. I Well, I didn't know. I actually, I didn't bring any other socks. I hiked out the next day without socks. <laughs> yeah, that so wasn't, I, the hike wasn't nothing either. Yeah, because I wanted to pack so light because Ruben had to bring his guitar. So, <laughs> but yeah, I burned my socks and it sucked and I was just mad about it because they cost me like 12 bucks at REI and that's ridiculous. Especially coming straight out from undergrad that probably hurt yeah. a little more. Yeah. I was on the U.S. Fish and Wildlife paycheck by then. So, you know, I was making the big bucks. <laughs> a lot of overtime, a lot of comp time. Yeah. That yeah. is, they're, they're, they have... I will say they have a very good system with overtime and comp time compared to um, other positions I've been in. Gotcha. My, um, yeah, I mean, my high probably, I'm going to do two just because you can't really like, you have to save the big fish. And it wasn't, it wasn't exactly when it wasn't when you caught it. It was probably the moment I heard you. Yeah. oh my god get over oh my god like that was like the high yeah, because like it was it clicked in my head i was like that that's gonna be like the biggest fish of his life yeah and and i didn't know if we were gonna like land it or not at that point but it was just like that excitement kicks in kind of like when you like see your shooter buck like start to walk out of the field during the night it's like you don't yeah. know if you're gonna get it but it's like oh it's gonna you know yeah. it could happen but heart drop yeah but like as far as like not the exciting high more like the like thoughtful just like taking everything in how was probably when i was yeah. up on that cliff playing the guitar and like yeah. matt's matt's filming me like we're like way up on this rock outcropping probably two three hundred feet above the lake and I, uh because we i don't know we we're just messing around wanted to film me playing um can't you see by a marshall tucker band on the guitar with like yep. the cirque lake way below me in the background and in the background klaus is in the float tube casting and there's like a fish <laughs> rising everywhere and yeah. um like it, it actually was pretty incredible how many fish were rising that morning. And it, you it was so them. hard to walk out of there. Yeah, because yeah. you walked out and you saw the fish mm. rising yeah. still. But you had just fished them for two hours and caught like I don't know what five or something. No, but it's yeah. addictive. But yeah, that was that was amazing. Just being up there and just like doing what I love to do, playing guitar, vicariously <laughs> fishing through Klaus down in the lake with my two friends up on this crazy rock outcropping overlooking like. 50 miles of mountains. It was pretty awesome. Um, my low would probably have to be Matt losing that fish in the stream. Yeah. That was because tough. I really wanted him to have that experience. And we, we tried really hard and it almost <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah. And it, it Twice. Had, and he had, the fact that you got a second chance, I was pretty bummed too about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, because I had them on my flies too, so I was, I was like, "Yes, you got them on my flies." Yeah. And you had put them on the spot, so we both were like, "Yeah, that was a tough yeah." One. 
So Ryan, um, what was I guess yeah, we won't go high and I, low, just most most no, interesting. I interesting. My uh, big takeaway right here, this is it, um, is I think you know to all those fisheries professionals, you go into lakes that you usually work with and stuff like that. Um, you work hard. We're very passionate individuals about our career and stuff like that, and uh, you see someone haul out a. 23 to 24 inch cutty or something like something to that extent, like just a trophy and how the fishery is like working in the right direction. It's like, all right, that's, that's my big takeaway is that's why I do the job I do. Or you see a kid or someone, whatever, catch their first fish and they're just ecstatic. That's why I do what I do. I might not be a big fisherman. I probably am a terrible fisherman, (laughs) but I love my job and I do it for those people that do love fishing, you know, that's my takeaway. Nice. That's a good takeaway. Yeah. (laughs) Especially since we spent quite a bit of time talking about the conservation and management aspect of it. Cause that, that, that that played a lot into what we were doing there. And it's cool to have that background when you go hunting or fishing and kind of know the background of what's happening when you're engaging with that specific animal or that specific system. It just like Mm -hmm. sweetens it up and, kind of i don't know sweetens the deal um class we're gonna have to have you back on again to talk about our uh musky and smallmouth fly fishing trip um in which the other underwear story will come out yeah (laughs) underwear story (laughs) v2 um just all circumstances well send us off here ryan well thanks klaus for uh coming on telling us that just terrific story is that your biggest uh trout period to the to date right now or yeah it is besides the one i put matt on but i'm not gonna count that as mine i I missed it i had a chance but no that's the yeah that's the that's the biggest one on a fly rod for yep for sure Um, caught some i've got um i caught a 23 and a half on the tape a female so depend you know we i don't we don't know for sure but allegedly I can tell you what it felt like it felt yeah. it felt a little bigger so yeah okay yep. well thanks for coming on again and hopefully everybody gets out there fishing it's summertime summer solstice yeah. time is dwindling down to winter so everybody grab your fly rods your rods and yeah get out there fishing go get some warm water it's not all about trout it's true <laughs> it's all about trout 